The driving force behind Literacy Planet is motivating students to discover the joy of learning through the power of great storytelling and gamified learning experiences. Just as the world's most popular films and games are driven by compelling narratives, Literacy Planet's Storyverse immerses readers in a captivating world of fun, fantasy and wonder. This is where learning becomes meaningful and memorable, inspiring children to connect with their own writing in imaginative and creative ways. Literacy Planet uses the psychology of gameplay to encourage, motivate and reward children as they move from one curriculum outcome to the next. It is an enabler, building confidence and determination within a safe and nurturing environment. Well, Tom, welcome to the Beyond Words World Literacy Podcast. I'm so happy to talk to you because I think other than a wonderful name that you have for your brand, I think it's a really interesting concept. And you have 247,000 students using it in 900 schools in 80 countries. That's pretty impressive. Talk to me about how this came to be and where this this um, concept emerged from. Sure. So, look, thanks for your question, Deb. I can't take the credit for starting this business. Um, this is a brainchild of Shane and started a business 10, 12 years ago. And it was um, really, I mean, the whole drive was very much a, a personal drive that the, the way children were learning literacy could be done so much better and, may, and much more equitable and accessible. Until all of those um, children who may not be in traditional schools, may not have access to um, great teachers, may not have access to great kids, but still didn't want to be disadvantaged. So that was where really the drive started from. And I think the, the key was to put the classic literacy curriculum, make it available, but make it fun. Make it fun. And kids love fun. Yeah. I mean, they need fun. They love fun and it engages them. And that's what I love about this is that. It's because literacy sometimes feels very daunting to young people who haven't had access to it. It's it's you know it's a little scary. So what you should, yeah you you you've, this this concept demystifies a little bit and makes it enjoyable. Absolutely. You see, you, you take the scaffolding of um, of literacy and it does look scary. Right? It's strand and phonics and grammar and punctuation and spelling. When you and then you put a big curriculum together and but they're all laddered and. It does look overwhelming. So how do I take that structure and that discipline but wrap it into something that kids love, particularly kids aged 4 to 14? And kids aged 4 to 14 and their attention span, I think we all know what that's like. That's not getting any better. Yeah. And you're also competing a lot more now. Right? Those 4 to 14-year-olds, as you know, um, have got a lot of demand on their attention, devices and, and its shortness colourful and it's narrated and if you can't capture their attention and their imagination, you're going to struggle to really help develop underlying skills. So that's where we try and strike that balance of being fun and being engaging, but also delivering outcomes against national people. That's the balance. I think that's interesting what you just said, the notion of competing. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? Yeah, well, I think you there's a couple of different ways, but you know, you've got to keep up with the things that the other things that they're doing. So kids four or fourteen and they're playing games online. They're socializing online, they're using TikTok, they're using um, a variety of different technologies to collaborate with people to learn. And if you don't keep up with that, 
and the experience doesn't keep up with that, then you lose the competition. You lose their attention because it's so easy to flick to something else. Absolutely. I mean, I know I've got children myself, much older now, but I know what you're talking about. It's a very, it's a really interesting space because maybe 20 years ago that wasn't a challenge for literacy, but now it's become completely um, embedded in our cultural and the way that we operate. All the schools, the kids, they all have their phones, they have access to everything. Mm. The other thing, you know, for us in the game, it's a moving target. And so it's, um, it gets the experiences and, and the, even if you talk about the UI and the UX and the design and that, and that customer centricity of the imagery that's used, um, even that is progressing day by day by day by day. And you have pretty large Silicon Valley-based organizations who are investing billions of dollars into software. That's what kids are using. Mm. And if that is with your the experience that you're providing is not with that, you're going to lose them really quickly. Now, the extreme case of that is kids get bored at school. They're just bored. Things don't happen fast enough, not engaging enough, there's no narrative, there's no gamification. I'm bored and they check out. If you build software that looks old, looks ugly, it doesn't have gamification, and you're trying to get a child who's yeah, 10 years of age to engage with it when they've got all this shiny stuff happening out here. I reckon you're going to be pushing it pretty hard, um, particularly if it even smells like it's got more structure behind it. With pushing mm, that. Yeah, they're just going to repel that because it's it looks too scary, daunting, and serious, and they don't want to uh, look like a teacher. Uh, they they want to get don't want to be taught or structured in that way. Exactly. And you can't, and you also can't design something that you and I would like to use necessarily because we're not the type of it. So we, if we designed it for us, it wouldn't be cool and it wouldn't be engaging for kids. So the key is how do you put four or 14-year-olds lens on and design and build environments and characters and narration and leaderboards and interactions and even the, the way that you engage with the the system and the way that you slide things and move things, it's all going to be conducive to a child. But also not just a child, any child. So depending on whether they're colorblind or whether they've got any kind of other auditory issues or whether whatever it might be, trying to make it so it's equitable and fair mm. no matter what the child is and where they are um, so they can access it. And then depending on, you know, what device they use. Because they don't all have, yeah, they don't all have access to certain things. So that's also, so there's also issues of economic status and whether they've got access to certain things and how you can reach them and give them opportunity no matter what their economic position. Absolutely. So in the game we talk about being accessible, which essentially any child should be able to use it, but also agnostic. Agnostic to any browser, any device. And so they basically, in all these terms that we work with, is just trying to make it fit. So there's no reason why uh, a child who's living in poverty in the middle of Delhi or in, either in rural uh, China shouldn't be able to have the same opportunity to learn literacy 
as uh, a high class student in New York. In a private school, yeah. Blackfoot. There's no reason why there should be a difference in our view. So we try and make it um, the opportunity available and equitable to anyone in the world. So the universality of what you're offering is is sort of really the linchpin in that you make it so that it is accessible across the globe to all different types of, of children. Do you find that so so from a logistics perspective, can you just take me through, walk us through the design concepts? Where do they come from? How do you do you use existing curriculums as a base yeah. for the literature? Yeah, for the story verse? Or yeah. I love the term too, story verse. It's just wonderful. It's such a it's really, it's got a sense as if you're sort of maybe watching a Disney movie, but actually not. So I sort of like the. <laughs> well, then again, all, all credit goes to the creative team, the education team. They, uh, they, they need to think about ways to present, you know, what is really the way the information is presented and communicated. It's really shits in their world. So, um, yeah, they've done certainly take the credit for that. But as far as your question goes, um, you know, and there's, there's one thing I'm really excited about. I mean, it, the business started here in the Gold Coast in Australia and, um, and it could have been designed with a lens of let's just serve the Australian market. could have been designed that way. would have been simpler. Mm. But, again, full credit to teams before me where their aspirations were much larger. And also their design principles were much larger than that. Their intent was equitable globally. So what that means then is that you need to be able to think about design in such a way that if you're in the US, you have a different curriculum or curriculum at all. Mm. You're in the UK, you have a different curriculum. If you're in international schools in Singapore, again, depending, you may have a US, you may have a UK, you may have a blend. So the first thing is to really map all the curriculum around the world that really addresses the main education systems that children will be required to apply. Is that so, sorry, is that is that just to understand that, so does that mean they are often universal concepts that you can present or do you need to tap each one? Tap each one. So oh, you have your core, mm. core piece and there's core elements, but then you have to map it to curriculum structures which relate to the country in which we're in. And some countries, they even have different ones by state. Like in the US, it's different by some of the states are different, right? So, so the, one of the big jobs is to say, want to break literacy down into little pieces and then map those little pieces to the curriculum. Because a year two in the US will, will have different ways of talking about literacy and structuring it than a year two in the UK. Very, it's extraordinarily um, bold and innovative because that must be a, quite a challenge. Just even without the animation, without the all the layering of technology, the Absolutely. notion, like just getting that that correct. So, do you work with the local, with the governments, or do you work with private? How does that? Yeah, yeah. So there's a couple of these because not just getting correct once; it's every piece of new content needs to be mapped. Oh, that's huge. New, new activity. So it's a periodic process. So we work with independent bodies, and you know, it's like this is an inexpensive thing to do. We mm-hmm. work with organisations, depending on the country, we provide independent audits and reviews to make sure that we're mapping appropriately and that 
when someone completes a mission or an activity or a task in the R platform and it gives them a level of proficiency rating, that lines up and corresponds to that proficiency rating in the national curriculum. So we can say hand on heart that if you have done this and you have and you've successfully completed X, you will be proficient in that element of the curriculum that you will be assessed against when we do like in Australia we're doing that plan, there's no plans all around the world, just cool different things. Um that you'll be aligned to your national diagnostics. So again, not an insignificant piece of word, but the key there too is to make that invisible. Kids don't want to see that. No, they don't. And in fact, you know, just say the word NAPLAN, a lot of them run a mile. They, okay. you know, I mean, even though I know that's not what it is, is it? but conceptually, I know it, that's what you're saying. They had fun, but at the end of the day, they're, they're being their, assessed. Their class and their school, and has got to be going up on the national block. And so, in terms of the logistics of that, two questions: How is that funded? Because that must be very expensive to run, and, and I'm assuming that there's private and government support. Yeah, if that's correct, yeah. Yeah, so we we actually fund it ourselves, so we pay for that um, that service of the individual organisations that do the audits. It's pretty a ticket to play is you have to have that. Right, the country has to have that. Yeah, and then as a product of rule, we have to have that endorsement because. Schools won't waste their time and teachers won't waste their time or the money provide the dozens of live with the outcomes. And they've got limited budgets, yeah, very absolutely. limited. And time. The, the, main, the main problem with schools and teachers is time. Mm. They, they, they can't waste time or products that don't have demonstrable outcomes that can be proven against the curriculum in which that teacher and that school is being assessed. They just don't have time. If it's, a, if it's considered a game that doesn't have those outcomes, don't want to know about it. I want, I want to start off, this is the job I need to do. How can your platform help me do it? But at the same time, how can we have it so that kids love it, so they ask for it, so I'm not having to force them to use it. So getting it into the schools in the first place, all the countries let alone, I'm assuming it started in Australia initially, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, it's been a lot of shoe leather, really, to start with. I mean, it's start the. I mean, the way that this is changing over time, but and how it started was literally door to door, door to school, teacher to teacher, check it out. What do you think? Have a trial, have a demo, see how it works. If you're happy with it, um, you know, then we'll try and negotiate something commercial that makes sense so that we can pay for the content, we can pay for things left, pay for. That's how it worked, and it literally started close to where the business started because it was easier to walk down the road. Mm-hmm. And so Queensland, Gold Coast, Queensland, boom, boom, and then some of those teachers would go overseas, so the world would go out overseas, or we'd do some marketing overseas. Nah, many in the Google ad or something. Um, and the people started searching for it. Because, I mean, the need is massive. Massive. I mean, just the statistics are just quite alarming and overwhelming. And the problem is so big. And one of the things I was reading about is how critical collaborative connectivity is to dealing with this literacy issue. That is that countries and 
people working universally, it's critical to really try and maximise outcomes because it's just so monolithic that people can't tackle it like a, without support. So logistically, can I just understand something? So let's say, and I, I love that expression, you know, the way you describe it goes out door to door and it just built organically, but clearly moving into new countries took on a new yeah. um, challenge, I have no doubt. So once you had credibility here and you got support, then moving into other countries, how difficult was that? And was it like you give them a prototype and does it dovetail with their existing curriculum? Yeah. Yeah, good question. So, yeah, so the expanding um, internationally for an Australian ed tech company is in these, right? It's not where we are a long way away and we're on an island and it's um, where we're from a small population and we're not seeing necessarily in the boat was Dallas, the harbour of EdTech activity. So working with, you know, Austrade and various partners and, again, just trying anything possible to get the word out because we know that the needs everywhere, right? I think, you know, the World Literacy Foundation is saying that 750 million people yeah. are still illiterate, right? It's a massive number. Massive. Um, so we know that to, to have a meaningful impact, um, we've got to get outside of Australia. Um, there's 10,000 schools in Australia. For us, you know, we're, we know there's 200,000 schools in the US and the UK, right? So, so it's, the scale is so much bigger. So really you're focusing in on, on, at the moment, we are focusing on those two um, geographies, the US and the UK. Mm-hmm. How can we provide what we do and we Grow and build Australia and build credibility on how can we now export that effectively? Um, by one, making sure it absolutely aligns to the curriculum, it's tech with that. Mm-hmm. Two, making sure it's all the audio and the language is all aligned. You know, you've got to have the right accents and you've got to add Z's and mm-hmm. the S's, full stops. Yeah, the Z's and the S's. Oh, that used to, yeah. <laughs> we all know what Yeah. Get all that sorted, right? And then there's a the whole lot. Um, technical stuff behind the scenes around the security standards. Then children, you got to be really careful about security. There's there's hosting services when you host the data and how to do that. Again, there's a heap of stuff. So we're just trying to do what we can to grow that. And I think at the moment now, um, you know, about forty five percent of our revenue comes outside Australia and down. That's incredible! What an extraordinary story. And and so so, do you think the success has been that the alignment of technology, obviously online, facilitates a lot of growth because you, you know that's just for you in that particular arena. It must be a huge bonus for your organisation. But also, do you think that the creatives in in your hub must be doing a good job of communicating to that that target group? Because yeah. they're getting the resonance, yeah? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, look, I think um, when I reflect on it, our, our whole brand on this, this sort of treat thing, where we say kids will love it, it's going to be really easy to use, and teachers will save time. I think the one that we've done the best on is the kids will love it. Well, that's the key, yeah. You know, that's, that's the key for us. I mean, then that's why it's growing. Probably the reason why it hasn't grown as you know as fast as we would like mm. is still have to make it easier to use. 
weren't we? I mean, that's, as we said before, that's a moving target. You've got to keep adapting, particularly for teachers. You've just got to keep evolving and making it simpler and simpler and more streamlined. And Yeah, so that's, that's sort of our path for getting better is to make it easier to teach it. So can I just, just logistically, I just want to understand. So how on a weekly basis does this integrate into the educational yeah. platform? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, teachers, there's a number of ways in which teachers integrate into their learning. Right? Some, some will actually use it in the classroom. So it's made for the big whiteboards that they have now and they can have it there. Right. They can assign learning to the, to the uh, children in the class. Um, which essentially means you can assign a certain task book within the product aligned to what the individual student needs. So with the technology, one of the benefits of technology is you don't have to teach to the class. You don't have to teach the same thing to the all. You can personalise the teaching pretty well. Big benefit. Mm. Big benefit. Oh, no, little Billy's got some – he's struggling with um, grammar, but generally – her main issues around punctuation. Um, and so I can set tasks and assign particular missions specifically to those areas individual needs at the right level. I could run like operating a year below or a year above the current level. So you can pick the year level on the strand and make it sort of fit. And then you get all that summarised in nice reports so the teachers can see how, and almost like a traffic light, which students are tracking well and which ones aren't. That's brilliant. Yeah, it helps. I mean, it helps a lot. Sometimes it's a bit invisible, right? In the old days, mm-hmm. sitting in the school, I'm pretty sure the teacher would have to use a bit of judgment about which kids were getting and which weren't, but they always had to teach to the lowest of the So smart kids were getting bored. So true. Yeah. So now being able to personalise them more and also not really, you know, kids sometimes learn on the bus, they learn on the couch, they learn mine on their bed, and it's fine. It's not all just that window where you're half an hour where you're sitting in the class in front of the teacher. Mm. Learning can happen in all kinds of places. Some people say it happens in the cracks in your day, you know, when you're waiting for your swimming lesson, you're waiting in the car for your big brother to finish soccer. You can play fine, you can get up to, up to worry with your punctuation, your literacy, your grammar. And have fun doing it, then some clients and get some communication with your mates and they have a leaderboards and it's just such a different way of, of learning, but you have to be available to provide the opportunity for kids to do it whenever, however, whatever device, so that no one's disadvantaged. And that really meets that that is why Literacy Planet's so clever, because I can see that I mean, this is where the world's going anyway. I mean, yeah. compared to when you and I were at school or you know, um, even my kids are a little older and, and, you know, not dissimilar to universities, but as we know, we're, t- we're, we're tackling really that under 19 age group and I'm, or you're saying four to 14. Four to 14 is sweet spot, yeah. Yeah, and there's such critical times of learning and what you're saying is, is you're sort of giving those kids permission to say, listen, you know what, if it takes you a week and you don't, you know, meet that target or that, I don't know how it's registered, but I'm assuming, you know, you ding certain things and then it, you go up a level. Yeah. Um, then come back on the Friday and make sure you've met those at some point during your week. Is that sort of how it works? Yeah, yeah. it gives flexibility, right? So kids can operate when they want, at the speed they want as well. And and it really means that you really are, that 
put in the control back in the, the learner's hand, so it's very learner-centric. Well, I think that's a pretty important place to be, and I think you touched on it. Um, yeah, we're clearly a literacy planet, right? Literacy is our baby. But we know that literacy underpins a lot of education. So if you can read effectively and write effectively and communicate effectively, that actually drives into all the other parts of schooling and drives into outs- once you finish school, outside of school, particularly now when just surfing the web, right? And in yeah, I mean, yeah. And interpret what it is, whether it's fake news, good news, requires a lot of fun. Even writing emails, reading on Zoom now, looking at the World Literacy Foundation, they're taking simple things like, you know, reading the label of a medicine bottle. Yeah, bottle. I know. I mean, that's stuff you like. Okay. Filling out a job application, checking yeah. the, you know, yeah, what the prescription that you've been given is got the right yeah. name on it and details and all of that. Yeah. So in the end, it's not so much about whether you get an A or a B, really. It's more about yeah. are these kids going to have fulfilling, successful lives or reach their potential outside of school? If they haven't got literacy, they're going to struggle. And a lot of them are. And a lot of them don't even get the opportunity to go and, you know, get through to the next level or to go to uni or to even yeah. get employment. So I think Literacy Planet's driving a really important mission and I think it must be incredibly fulfilling for you how have you found the journey thus far? How long have you been involved yourself? I've been just a couple of years now, so I've been in CR for two years. Um, and literally the opportunity for me was to come in and scale the business. I think yeah, when you've got a great product which is based in Australia, um, you always feel like you're scratching the surface. Mm. And that's what it felt like to me. Mm. Um and I just, I mean, luckily and fortunate to have travelled a lot as a, as a youngster um, and just saw just how small we were in comparison to the rest of the world. Um, so yeah, the passion, I suppose, comes from taking something that's awesome, Australian, and then being able to share that with the rest of the world um, to really have an impact on the needle. And, the, I mean, we've been great to connect with the World Literacy Foundation and work with the team because I think... That and the, that organisation, what they do, um, is unbelievable. And I think being able to supercharge what they're doing using these kind of products and this kind of technology can only be a win. They've got their ability to have the influence and and the global imprint. Yeah, they, they've also got. I mean, they're in seven countries. You know, there's a there's a sense of us being that's that sort of concept. In fact, LeBron James, who's very you know very um, supportive and powerful in the literacy space, he, you know that he talks about how important it is for us to treat this like a universal problem, you know, in so many different countries. And that's what the World Literacy Foundation has really created. And we've got the summit coming up at the end of March, which mm-hmm. I'm sure you you're you know you'll be present at and that your organisation will have great traction because it's already getting extraordinary traction, really. You know, well, I think we're just starting. I think we're just starting. Um, so, I mean, it's, that, that's the thing. I think the key is, you know, working with organisations like World Literacy Foundation, but also individuals. But I think in the end, sometimes individ- few key individuals who really care about literacy and can then be able to work with the foundation and us to be able to get our technology into places where we're, we're committed um, to providing our product free. 
And so we've said to Rodgers Foundation, any child in the world that wants to access literacy, they can have our product free and they can have a free literacy check so they can find out where they sit and how they currently sit and absolutely available anywhere in the world. So That is an incredible, like, that's an incredible uh, offer and clearly it shows that you're coming from the right place. Well, it's, it's only a new thing that we've really thought that one thing that's blocking some people is just don't have the money, right? So mm. we said, well, you can have it free and have it free for life, not free for a day or a week and going to hit you with a bill, free for life. So that that's a commitment that the board's made and that the management team and leadership team made. And so the, that's all we're hoping with the World Literacy Foundation, that message out there that, hey, world-class product available for free and I can do a check and find out what I need, which I should focus on. It's taking a while on the reasons people say no. Well, all I can say is it's an absolute honour to have you and this extraordinary organisation on the Beyond Words Literacy Podcast because this is going out to the world and it will just give some people an insight into the extraordinary mission and the organisation that you've created. And I look forward to seeing um, more traction for this wonderful literacy planet. But um, I really want to thank you for your time. It's been so informative. I could talk for another hour with you because there's just so many layers and hopefully you'll come back on the the Beyond Words podcast maybe in a few months and you can give us a little update on how everything's going and any new items that I have no doubt will emerge um, after the summit. I love Tech Devon. I really appreciate your time and opportunity to listen to appreciate it. Take a a bit of time to listen in. Uh, It's been a real pleasure and uh, hopefully we can... We can really demonstrate the real impact on the Grindelwald style with a little product that came out of Dog Culture Strand. Oh, I love it. I love everything you're doing. Thank you for your time, Tom. Have a great day. All right, DBJ. Take care. Well, at the World Literacy Foundation, we believe in literacy as the foundation of lifelong learning and education. People who cannot read or write experience difficulties with simple everyday tasks, such as reading the label of a medicine bottle, filling in a job application, or understanding a traffic sign. When we help someone to acquire literacy skills, we're empowering them to access to better opportunities in life to break the poverty cycle. It's a global organisation in Africa, Latin America, the United States, United Kingdom, and in Australia. The World Literacy Foundation is on a mission to ensure that every child, regardless of geographic location, has the opportunity to acquire literacy skills and books to reach their full potential. We're striving to eradicate illiteracy by 2040. Reading and writing should just be a basic right, not a privilege. So please, if you're interested, head to our website at the World Literacy Foundation to see what is happening globally this extraordinary organisation when we realise that there are 750 million people who cannot read and write. See if you can contribute and make a difference. 